I'm delighted to be here. Uh, as time has gone on, I find myself frequently the oldest person in the room. <laughs> there was, in fact, yesterday a rumor going around that I had served at the Last Supper. I <laughs> want you to know that's not true. Uh, actually, my career began in service to Ramses II, Pharaoh of Egypt. <laughs> Um, as, as you may know, I had uh, served as the founding president of the National Commission on Certification of Physicians' Assistants. I will relate one anecdote. There, there's an error in uh, at least one of the textbooks that talks about the history. The commission was actually founded on August 8th. 1974, which is enshrined in history books, not because of the commission, but because that was the day that Richard Nixon resigned the presidency. <laughs> and as we assembled that morning, knowing that he was going to address the nation that night, we were in a hurry, but we did have one piece of business to transact. And that was, what were we going to call these people who were being certified as physician's assistants? CPA didn't seem reasonable. <laughs> and so we quickly decided that we would do PA-C. Uh, five months later, we had identified Dave Glazer to be the first uh, executive director of the commission, and he had opened his office in Atlanta. And <clears throat> on the first or second day that he was there, he received a telephone call from the executive director of the certified public accountants in this country, very curious uh, after a little chit-chat about what are you going to call these people? And Dave said, well, we've already made that determination. They're going to be called PA-C. And he said, oh, thank God, now all I have to worry about are the cotton producers of America. <laughs> The establishment and the growth and development of the physician assistant concept evolved from a number of factors, but principally from the perceived shortage of health manpower, specifically physicians, through the 1950s and 1960s. Now, whether there was a true shortage of physicians uh, is arguable. What's not arguable is that physicians available to provide general care to the public was in steep decline. In 1940, three of four physicians identified themselves as generalists. Twenty years later, it was only one in three. Uh, while the ratio of the number of physicians to the general population hadn't changed Substantially, their distribution and practice profiles had changed dramatically. One factor was the urbanization of physicians and the population after World War II, which deprived um, uh, suburban and rural communities of health manpower. A second factor was the uh, explosive growth of medical knowledge uh, after World War II, particularly with the establishment of the NIH uh, in 1948, which led to an ex exponential growth of information and technology. Physicians were increasingly uncomfortable with the breadth of knowledge that was necessary to practice general medicine. 
Now, while there had been a few elite uh, uh, institutions that, that, was, that were devoted to the training of specialists, a major impetus was given with Eugene Stead's arrival at Duke in the mid-1940s. Stead is responsible for more things than simply the creation of the concept of uh, uh, the physician assistant. Um, when he arrived from Emory, he brought with him a collection of men, because most of the faculty in those days were men, um, uh, who later wound up populating many of the uh, academic institutions in this country. Um, and Stead suggested to them that they might develop a departmental project and what he had in mind was, where does blood flow go? Uh, and as they thought about it, they divided it up. Um, uh, Jim Warren, later chairman of medicine at Ohio State, took the heart itself. John Hickam, later chairman of medicine at the University of Indiana, took the lung. Jack Myers, my mentor, uh, later chairman at the University of Pittsburgh, took the GI tract and particularly the liver. Uh, they received grant funding from the National Institutes of Health and began to recruit residents out of the Duke House staff uh, to fellowships. And the concept of fellowships grew very rapidly with the dissemination of, of um, uh, much of the Duke faculty throughout the rest of the country. Um, and within a matter of a very few years, specialty fellowship became the norm for training in internal medicine. By the mid-60s, two commissions were sanctioned by the American Medical Association to address this problem and the consequences for the public. One of them was by John Millis, <clears throat> who was president of Western Reserve University, charged with studying graduate medical education. That commission evolved the concept and the definition of primary care. Uh, defined it to include um, psychiatry, office orthopedics, office gynecology as augmentations to the traditional uh, internal medicine or pediatric residencies. The second was by uh, 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 Dr. Willard to study the educational preparation for general practice. They recommended a new specialty of family medicine to replace general practice with a graduate training curriculum and a new board of family physicians uh, to certify training in this new specialty. Uh, that was, that report in 1969 was very quickly responded to with the creation of um, the uh, uh, American Association of family practice out of the American Association of General Practice and the creation of a new board of family physicians. 1966, the, the felony of specialization was compounded by Medicare and Medicaid that established different reimbursement criteria 
for procedures and time-related services, such as the history and physical, and cemented forever the, uh, uh, the trend toward specialization in medicine. The first recorded public advocacy of a new kind of health provider to fill the gap that had occurred in physician manpower came in 1961 when Charles Hudson, who was then president of the National Board of Medical Examiners, spoke to the AMA House of Delegates advocating providing assistance to physicians whom he termed externs. Now within the American Medical Association that was surprisingly well received. Uh, now, <laughs> Eugene Stead knew all about this. In fact, uh, when he had been at Emory prior to uh, uh, moving up to Duke University, uh, he was chair of medicine during World War II at a time when the number of interns at the Grady Hospital declined from 15 to zero. Uh, and he then uh, appointed uh, senior medical students to act instead of interns and termed them externs, the same term uh, that Hudson had used before the AMA. At the same time, in North Carolina, there was a remarkable physician and close friend of Stead by the name of Amos Johnson. He was exceedingly well known. Uh, he served as one of the first presidents of the American Academy of Family Physicians and served uh, as president of the American Board of Family Practice during its formative years. Uh, he had trained uh, a guy by the name of Buddy Treadwell to serve him as an assistant and proclaimed to the rest of the world that the only reason he could participate in national activities to the extent that he did was that Buddy Treadwell was back there practicing medicine, uh, handling his private practice in his absence. In the early 60s, uh, Stead, uh, uh, having had many conversations with Amos Johnson, uh, and working with a nurse by the name of Thelma Engels, developed a program at Duke University to train nurses to fill this role. Now, he should have known better. <laughs> uh, be, because Hudson, uh, in his address to the AMA, had, had suggested that that was a possible solution but expressed sincere uh, skepticism that the American Nurses Association would ever go along with this. Uh, and in the absence of the ANA going along with it, there was no way it would ultimately work, particularly in the hospital setting. Uh, and had suggested uh, that one might use uh, trained military corpsmen who were increasingly being produced um, as we were uh, escalating our small little altercation in Vietnam. Uh, predictably, I think, uh, the program devel developed by Stead and, and Engels to train nurses for this came to an end when the National League for Nurses absolutely refused to accredit it 
because these nurses had not been trained by other nurses, but had been trained by physicians, uh, e either in practice or in residency. Um, and so Stead took the other option and turned to the, the folk who were now coming out of the military. Um, and they were increasing in number by the year as our escalation in Vietnam uh, accelerated. <laughs> Uh, ultimately amounting to 7,000 a year coming out of Vietnam into the civilian uh, population with, without any analogous occupation in the civilian economy to employ them. Uh, a faculty committee was appointed at Duke University under the chairmanship of Andrew Wallace. Uh, it was from Andy Wallace that I learned about this uh, in 1966. Uh, the committee had deliberated. Several members of the committee were, in fact, uh, ex-military uh, and had worked with Corman. Uh, approval was given and the program was begun in 1965. Uh, early in 1966, picking up on this before the first class even graduated, Look Magazine published an article called More Than a Nurse and Less Than a Doctor, which enraged all of nursing, <laughs> but attracted several hundred applications for the second class to enter Duke University. As Andy was telling me about this, I had not thought of it prior to 1966, there are few things in my life that had been so instantly intuitive as the idea of a trained assistant to the primary care physician. Within those very first couple of years, there were competing models. Uh, certainly one of them was um, in Seattle where Dick Smith created the MedEx concept, again uh, drawing on ex-military corpsmen, more seasoned corpsmen who had been um, in, in, in at independent duty corpsman for a number of years. Um, at Alderson Bradis, uh, uh, a concept arose of taking people out of high school, putting them into a college curriculum, giving them uh, arts and sciences as well as the medical training, and they emerged after four years, leading to a baccalaureate degree. John Kirkland at Alabama created the surgical assistant. Uh, and in uh, Colorado, uh, we had the pediatric assistant. Now, ultimately, these had to be rationalized, but each managed to learn from the other. Um, uh, and ideas from each of these five models enhanced the concept. Astoundingly, the concept was formally endorsed by the American Medical Association House of Delegates in 1969. Uh, I say astoundingly, uh, the American Medical Association may have had another motivation for doing this, uh, and that is the threat of uh, what was being projected as increased numbers of medical graduates throughout the country uh, who might then compete with them in uh, practice. Uh, nevertheless, 
they did accept the concept uh, with an astonishing resolution that encouraged legislatures and state medical boards to amend their practice acts to sanction PA practice. Uh, the politics of this were, were extraordinary. Um, Estes repeatedly stated that diagnosis and treatment were not the role of the physician's assistant, uh, that history taking, physical examination, and tasks ordered by the physician uh, were the goal and objective of physician-assisted training, but he knew better. Duke was training him to do more than that, um, uh, but he never said so publicly. And instead, uh, was unbending <coughs> on his insistence on a dependent status. And the political statements coming out of Duke, of course, uh, were very effective in um, allowing the AMA to make this public declaration in support of the whole concept. Um, worrisome to the AMA was the fact that Carnegie had al already proposed the expansion of medical education to produce 50% more physicians by 1980. That had to be terrifying. Uh, the AMA action, however, was followed within the year by formal endorsement by the American College of Surgeons, the American Academy of Pediatrics, and the American Academy of Family Practice. Which brings us to 1971, which was a highly significant year, uh, not least of which because Yale started its first physician assistant program under the leadership of Fred and Blair Sadler, uh, who were joined here by Ann Bliss. Now, Fred uh, and Blair, as they will tell you a little later, had begun studying the idea of physicians' extenders when they were in the uh, executive offices of the National Institute of Health the, the preceding year, uh, had developed a preliminary paper in 1971 that emerged as a foundation-supported white paper that became the book, uh, The Physician Assistant Today and Tomorrow. Um, but in addition to the Yale PA program and Fred and Blair and Ann's book, uh, there were other things happening in 1971. First of all, in quite remarkable bipartisan effort. The Congress passed the Comprehensive Health Manpower Training Act, which did a number of things. Uh, it, it intended to uh, in, increase the physician supply by supplying money to schools to increase class size, uh, money to develop new schools of medicine in this country, and money to reduce the length of training, the length of medical education, decidedly ill-advised. They were trying to promote medical schools to go from four years to three years by eliminating summers, and many medical schools did that. I don't know why anyone thought that was a good idea. You get a square wave of one year of graduates and you're done, <laughs> and then you're now compelled to run all medical schools uh, year-round. Um, those 
medical schools that did adopt that concept reversed it within the next few years. There are now none of them that attempt anymore to graduate people in three years. But more importantly, they provided money to stimulate new types of providers and explicitly physicians' assistants. Now, there had been a few schools, largely foundation and or federally supported through one granting agency or another, that emulated the five prototype programs uh, at Duke, Seattle, Colorado, um, And the Bureau of Health Manpower in 1972 provided money for 36 new PA programs, instantly quadrupling the number of programs in one year. Meanwhile, the AMA took new actions. Their Council on Medical Education, under the direction of Bill Rui, through its advisory committee for allied health professionals, had developed a document called Essentials for an Accredited Program for the Assistant to the Primary Care Physician, which was uh, roundly endorsed by the uh, AMA House of Delegates, establishing the Joint Review Committee that ultimately morphed, as we know it today, as ARC-PA. Um, at the same time, they authorized their Council of Health Manpower, major councils at the AMA under the direction of Malcolm Todd to work with others in the development of a program of certification of physician assistant graduates of the now to be 45, 46 programs that were in the pipeline. At the same time, the National Board of Medical Examiners appointed a committee on goals and priorities to make recommendations to their board for the future. Um, there's nothing like being in the right place at the right time. I was asked to be a member of that Goals and Priorities Committee, and within six months, we made the recommendation to the board that they undertake, for the very first time in their history, the task of examining professionals other than physicians, specifically the physician's assistant. That was adopted by the board in March of 1972, and within 18 months, the first certifying examination was born. What we now have in the physician assistant profession are the four key elements, legs of a chair on which a, a, a profession sits, if you will, first of all, one of those legs uh, is a professional association. The American Academy of Physicians Assistants had been created at Duke by the uh, graduates of the first two programs in 1968 with its first president, Bill Stanhope. Um, in 1972, Duke had been uh, giving invitational conferences for each of four years, and in 72 they declared that was the last time they were going to do that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you take it from here. Uh, and at that last Duke conference in 72, there was formed an association of the educational institutions that now were in the process of turning out physicians' assistants 
And um, while he was in the bathroom, Fred Sadler was elected president <laughs> of the Association of Physician Assistant Programs. So now we have um, a professional association, an association of educational programs under the AMA auspice, uh, an accreditation system of those programs, and the final link, um, uh, the final leg of that chair uh, is an accreditation or a certification system in the public interest. Uh, in 1974, even though the first examination had already been given by the National Board of Medical Examiners, uh, with participation uh, of uh, specialty societies, uh, state medical boards, military, veterans, uh, other interested parties, 14 national organizations came together to create the National Commission on Certification of Physicians' Assistants, uh, uh, for which I was elected the president. Well, here we are today, 40 years after the most significant year uh, in the history of, of uh, physician assistant professional development at both Yale and nationwide. Um, I'll now turn this over to others who will give you more details uh, about how this developed, particularly here at Yale. And I thank you. It's been a pleasure being here.